And please turn in your Bibles. Our passage today is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Father, we pray that you'd open our ears and open our hearts and open our eyes, that your word uh, would do its work, that it would give us the ultimate hope through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ... So what's, uh, what's the big deal? I mean, why are we here? Why is, you know, it's packed out today. People are here. People are celebrating. Um, what's the importance of the resurrection of Jesus? Is it, is it maybe the most impressive parlor trick ever? You know, could fool even Penn and Teller? You know, is that what it is? Or is it maybe a legit miracle? Even the greatest miracle. There's not a better miracle done in and, and if it is the greatest miracle ever, do, ever done, then yes, we should be pretty excited about it. We should be talking about it. I mean, after all, if we can, if we can get excited and heap praise on somebody that does some great uh, slam dunk on the basketball court or some uh, Hail Mary catch in the end zone, uh, then this is uh, many magnitude of order greater uh, in what was accomplished Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is much greater than that. It's much greater than just the supreme miracle. And it has massive eternal benefits for us and massive temporal benefits to us right now. And the only way that you can have temporal benefits, benefits in the here and now, is if it is eternal benefit, if the eternal benefits are true. There's no eternal benefit to the resurrection. If, not, if there is no eternal benefit to the resurrection, there's no temporal benefit. So let's talk about that. What is the, the benefit for us now? Well, it has to do with hope. Basically, three things. The first is hope in and of itself. And the second is hope for endurance of trials. When I talk about enduring trials, I'm not simply talking about just sort of Uh, making it through, but more positively dealing with life's difficulties. And finally, hope makes us progress in living the good life. And what I mean by the good life is a life where we become more like God in holiness uh, and less like Satan, uh, more like Jesus and less like Adam in the garden. That's the good life. And hope helps us right now in this world. So let's talk about the eternal benefit. The resurrection provides you with God's mercy for eternity on judgment day. First Peter chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
from the dead. We deserve and will receive God's judgment if we don't get God's mercy. There will be a day of judgment. Jesus will return on that day and he will judge in justice. In fact, our gospel writer here, Peter, in the same book, 1 Peter 4, 5 says, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Sound familiar? Judge the living and the dead came right uh, was right from the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. So why do we deserve to be judged guilty? Well, God's standard is moral perfection, and we fall far short of it. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all we have to do is take a look at our lives, look at your life, look at my life, and compare our lives to Jesus Christ. The Bible says of Jesus uh, that he was the only perfect person that lived. He committed no sin, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. And uh, when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we find ourselves wanting. Paul Miller, in his book, J-Curve, says this, we only have to look at Jesus, especially during his passion, to see that some people embody love more than others. During the final 24 hours of his life, he washed feet, rebuked rebuked betrayers, sweated blood, forgave enemies, cared for his mother, and received his death. What Jesus was like under incredible pressure transfixed his disciples. How about you? How about me? Think about when you have been the most stressed. When you were the most stressed, How well did you do at paying attention, showing love to others? Jesus knew of his impending death the next day. He was perfectly loving. And so on judgment day, you're either going to receive judgment on the basis of your works matching up to Jesus Christ as the standard, or you will receive mercy on the basis of Jesus' perfect life satisfying God's just demands for you. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And God's justice is not going to be limited simply to death. Romans 2.5 says, but because of your hard, impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Jesus Christ spoke of this judgment and said in Matthew 5:22, "But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire." We read of this hell of fire, the lake of fire as it's described in Revelation chapter 20. And it says, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hell, it's a place of torment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says of people, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a problem. The resurrection of Christ gives us Mercy on the day of judgment. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Now, what is mercy? 
Now, my favorite illustration about what justice, mercy, and grace is, I, I said this to the uh, new members class last week, and, and, and if you've been around for a while, you've heard this before, but it's just a great description of the, the, the difference between those three things, justice, mercy, and grace. So little boy Johnny comes into the kitchen. Uh, it's a little before dinner time, and mom says to Johnny, uh, don't stick that hand in the cookie jar. If you do, you'll get 10 whacks. Mom's a tough disciplinarian. Maybe I should update that to 10 minutes in timeout. I don't know. But anyway, he gets 10 whacks for the sake of the illustration. And uh, Johnny waits for mom to leave. And uh, coast is clear, sticks his hand in the cookie jar. Of course, mom catches him. Says, up to your room, Johnny. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Johnny gets what he deserves. He gets justice. Roll the tape back. Johnny sticks his hand in the cookie jar. Mom says to Johnny, up to your room. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Johnny looks back and says, seven? She says, you deserve ten, but you're going to get mercy. Mercy is not getting everything you deserve. Roll the tape back. Johnny sticks his hand in the cookie jar. Mom says, aha, I caught you. You deserve ten wax, but instead we're going out for ice cream. I'm not necessarily recommending this as a parenting methodology, but, but that's grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve in a good way. We all deserve judgment. The night before Jesus Christ was betrayed, we read in Matthew 26, 28, where he says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, we all are sinners. We all deserve judgment, but he died for the forgiveness of our sins. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10 talks about this dynamic of, of sinful people who are not good and what they receive. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for good people. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justif- now been justified, that is right now, we've been justified, we've been made righteous, we've been declared righteous in God's sight by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God in the future... For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Saved by the life, the resurrected life of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Something positive happened and changed in the the future on the basis of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, And his ascension. And the point of our passage today is something changed. Something changed for the future when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Because we're united to Christ Jesus and we receive all the benefits of being united with him. As you live your life here on earth, the Bible says that you're united with him. You're united with him in his death. 
You're united with him in his resurrection. You're united with him in his ascension. What do I mean by you're united with him? The Bible says that there is a, it describes a mystical unity. That is, there is a connection. It's not just psychological. There is a connection with God by the Spirit where we are united with Jesus Christ and we receive all of the benefits of what Jesus has accomplished for us, including his resurrection life. Sometimes when we say it's mystical, we think it's not very real. No, it's absolutely real. Here's what Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, how it speaks of this connection we have, this union we have with Jesus Christ. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. You see? You are united with him in all that he's accomplished, and it has this profound impact on what you can expect to happen in the future because you are united with the resurrected Christ. The top grossing movie of the 1980s was E.T. In E.T., you have uh, Elliot, a young boy, 10-year-old, who befriends an extraterrestrial And um, if you've seen that movie, you'll remember uh, that they developed this connection. It's more than a bond. It is a mystical connection. That is, it's a mystery. There's something in between them. So whatever E.T. experiences, Elliot experiences, uh, he um, goes to school one day and E.T., not knowing about life on planet Earth, somehow he knows enough about a refrigerator that there's food there. So he goes and he... He, uh, he gets a six-pack of beer and, uh, not knowing what it is, begins to chug it, and, um, and he gets drunk. And while he gets drunk, Elliot, at school, is drunk. And uh, so he gets a call from the, from the principal, hey, your son is drunk, come pick him up at school. Later in the movie, we find that E.T. Uh, starts to decline in health and, and comes close to death, and during that time, Elliot, the same exact thing happens to him. Well, it works in reverse with Jesus Christ. You have a connection with him, a mystical connection. And the Apostle Paul says this in Colossians verse, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. When he appears, when he returns, as he's promised to do, you will receive a resurrected body like Jesus' resurrected body. And the Bible goes on to say that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. The Bible talks about Christ's body as being glorified. And not only will his body be glorified, but the The earth will be transformed into a different glory. This 
decay that, uh, that is part of the life of planet Earth will be gone. We'll live in that perfected world. We don't have time. It's another sermon, but Romans 8, Revelation 21, if you want to do some reading on your own. And our relation, just one aspect, our relationships with each other will be perfect. We will no longer sin. We'll no longer be selfish and self-serving. We will care. I want you to think about the best relationship you've ever had at the time when it was the best, right? It pales in comparison to everyday life. Uh, in the resurrected state. That's what we've got to look forward to. It's going to be good. And why is it that we receive it? Because of God's mercy. It's undeserved. It's unearned. Now, the wonderful reality of of what I've described briefly um, is protected. It's going to be protected until the time we receive it when Jesus returns. And here's how Peter again puts it in 1 Peter, uh, beginning partway through verse 3. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Notice, first of all, the nature of your inheritance is about life. It has everything to do with eternal life. And by eternal life, it's not simply referring to sort of eternally making it, you know, just kind of getting by. No, life, wonderful, perfected life. It uses terms like born and living and resurrected from the dead and imperishable and unfading. Let's stop and think about that term unfading for just a a minute, because everything in this world fades in glory as it is right now. I think of the movie Freaky Friday. Some of you know that movie with Lindsay Lohan plays the teenage daughter and Jamie Lee Curtis plays the mother. And um, we'll say Jamie Lee Curtis is probably about 30 years older uh, than her daughter at that point. And uh, it's kind of a zany curse falls on them in the movie. And so the, the mother, uh, the da- the, 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 their bodies are switched. The teenage daughter gets the mother's body and the mother gets the teenage daughter's body. And there's a scene when the, the teenage daughter, who's now in the mother's body, realizes for the first time what's happened and she goes to the mirror and she says, oh no, I'm old. It's like the Crypt Keeper. Hey, teenagers, it's coming. It's coming. It's a shock when it happens in a moment, but it's coming. The Bible says the grass withers and the flowers fade, and all men are like grass. Right? Everything fades. But not not the inheritance that you're going to receive. The nature of the inheritance is indestructible, it's imperishable, it's unfading. We know that we're going to receive it when Jesus returns. It is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Why is your inheritance guarded in heaven? 
It's because that's where Jesus is. Your inheritance is wrapped up in Jesus, right? You've got this mystical union with Jesus. You will be transformed to the person of Jesus. As long as Jesus is safe, then your future is safe. Your inheritance is safe. And Jesus is indestructible. He has been given a body that is no longer subject to death. And Jesus, inherit, and Jesus resurrection is, is far better than other uh, resurrections. Not to say that you know, Lazarus' resurrection was somehow less than spectacular, but compared to Jesus' resurrection, Lazarus died again. When Jesus was resurrected from the, the dead, his body was transformed, glorified, made uh, incorruptible, not subject to death. The Apostle Paul speaks of his spiritual body. It's a body, but not subject to to death or decay. And so Jesus is safe in heaven because he is both God and man. His body is indestructible. And so we know that when he returns, we will receive our inheritance. And that gives us hope, right? Gives us hope. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's a hope that is alive. It fixes its expectation on life, the life that will be received. Hope is a favorable, confident expectation. I think I got that biblical definition from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Many, many others have said similar things. You see, hope is not simply a wish. You're like the Disney movie Snow White. You know, Disney, uh, Snow White is at the wishing well. I'm wishing for the one I love to find me today. I do hope so. Here's hoping. No, that's not how the Bible speaks of hoping. We hope, we have a living hope, and it's a favorable hope, an expectation of good things to come, and there is a confidence in it. You know, kids, some of you are the best demonstrators of hope. I, this happens Quite frequently after the worship service, uh, one of you will come up to me and say, it's my birthday this week. Five days, you know, could probably find out how many hours, you know, five days. It's going to be my birthday. They got to tell me they're so excited. Why is it they have hope, a favorable, confident expectation they're going to have a birthday party. They're going to have a birthday. You know, it's going to be wonderful. And that same sort of hope happens around the end of November, right, for kids? They start to anticipate Christmas morning and what they're going to receive. And what we have in our hope, of course, is a much greater expectation of life. And we're much more certain that we will receive it because it's based on the promise of God. And it's demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and our union with him in that resurrection And so this has massive benefits for us today as we live our lives today. What is this future hope as we look forward to it? How does that impact us today? Well, one thing is just hope, hope itself. Uh, Traditionally, um, our youth and our college students, um, as a rule, were uh, a demographic of hope. I worked with college students for 15 years, and they are looking forward, aren't they? They're looking forward to a job, they have certain expectations of a career, maybe a spouse, you know, uh, lots of hope in the future. 
And recently, uh, there have been uh, many articles written about the, the crisis of hope in our youth today. And uh, this came out last week. I've probably seen two dozen of these articles over the last couple of years. This is in the Atlantic uh, with the title of the article is Why American Teens Are So Sad. And it says this, a government survey of almost 8,000 high school students was conducted in the first six months of 2021. The United States is experiencing an extreme teenage mental health crisis. From 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% to 44%, according to a new CDC study. This is the highest level of teenage sadness ever recorded. Teens need hope. Adults need hope. Children need hope. Senior citizens need hope. We need hope. And we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have that hope now, and we're encouraged by it. Secondly, the living hope helps us in massive ways to uh, deal more positively with the difficulties that we face in life. The book of 1 Peter has been called a book of hope. And at the same time, it's called a book of hope in the midst of trials, because both are present in Peter, in 1 Peter. Again, here's our passage, verse 5, and then I want to read the next verse, verse 6. By God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Which trials grieve you? What's going on in your life? What's happened? We all go through trials. It's various trials, it says there in Peter. See, the benefit of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in this world is not that he's going to take away all your problems and take away all your trials. But in the here and now, you will experience joy even as you face your trials because you know you're living with a living hope, a joyful anticipation of what you will receive. It's a song that's been played on uh, Christian radio, it, I guess uh, more and more ramping up to Easter. Uh, it's the, the song is entitled Rattle. Um, I really like the first verse, and it goes like this. Saturday was silent. Surely it was through. But since when has impossible ever stopped you? Friday's disappointment is Sunday's empty tomb. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the praise, make a dead man walk again. Open the grave, I'm coming out. I'm going to live, going to live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. You see, Friday seemed hopeless, but out of that hopelessness came the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb. And so there is hope. Now, I wish they had just stopped there in that particular song because the next verse gives the takeaway, the application of that for our lives. And the application in that particular song is, well, God's just in the miracle business. And so we know he's done this massive miracle and he's just going to load you up with miracles. And specifically healing is mentioned. You know, Peter says near the end of his book, his book on hope, 
and his, his uh, book on trials to cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. He doesn't link it to the resurrection, but he says, we know that God cares for us. Instead, the application is this, not that God is going to take away all of your trials and difficulties. That is your hope. No, that in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your difficulties, he is there giving you hope. You've got this ultimate healing that's going to come, an ultimate healing that's going to happen from God. And so he has promised not to make our hardships, funships through the trials we go through. They're still difficult, but we're encouraged and we receive joy. You see, there is an inheritance and that inheritance is protected. That eternal life is protected through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no hypersonic missile that can reach it. There is no COVID disease that can take it away. There is no cancer that is going to kill it. There's no hunger that's going to starve it to death. No matter what we experience in this life, our inheritance is safe. And thirdly, living hope helps us live the good life. And again, what I mean by that is a life where we increasingly progress in love, joy, peace, patience where we increasingly put aside bitterness, anger, lust, selfishness. Again, let's read just a little bit further in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 13, and we will see this connection between the hope we have and how it transforms us. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace, there's that word, Not only mercy, but grace. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he returns. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, as we have hope, this favorable, confident expectation We are motivated by the reality that Christ has accomplished everything. We are far from perfect. We will continue to be far from perfect. Our hope is not in our perfection. Our hope is in the perfection of Jesus Christ, which he has accomplished for us in his life. He's paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. He's been resurrected and ascended into heaven. And we know that we will receive the benefits of Christ's resurrection when he returns. And as a result... We're motivated to live for him in hope. Now, I might ask some of you, you might say, well, I'm kind of discouraged. I would have expected to have been further along in my Christian life at this point. I've got these besetting sins. Well, one of the practical applications of this passage is to set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ returns. Look forward to the return of Jesus Christ and be encouraged as you seek to put sin to death, as you seek to live more and more for Jesus Christ. How is it that our inheritance is shielded? 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5, by God's power we are being shielded, by guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Through faith. 
Are all of us going to receive this inheritance? No. No. As I started my sermon out by saying, you'll only receive the benefits of this hope in this world if the object of that hope is true in the future. And it's only going to be true in the future if you have faith in Jesus. It's guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. How is it that you're connected with Jesus? How is it that you have union with Christ? It is when you have faith in him, when you have faith in his life lived for you, when you have faith in his death died for you, when you have faith that that caused the forgiveness of your sins, when you believe that his life in God's, is in God's sight, the, the standard of your judgment, when you trust in what he has accomplished for you. The judgment day is coming. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And those who do not have faith in Christ will be judged on the basis of their works and found guilty. Those who trust in Christ and not on their own works will be found righteous in God's sight on the basis of his mercy and grace. And so if you've not come to that point in your life yet where you have placed your faith in Jesus, then know the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life for all eternity, which is most important, but then know the benefit of, benefit of it in your life even today. So would you pray something like this? Lord, I, I now clearly see that I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed and I deserve your judgment. I'm sorry for that sin. I ask for the forgiveness of sins that Jesus has bought me by his blood and I receive it as a gift. And I ask that in the hope of Jesus' resurrection life, and my secure future with you, that you would help me endeavor to live a life of righteousness and love out of gratitude to you for the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the result is hope, hope through faith in Jesus Christ. Frederick Nietzsche said, hope is the worst of all evils, for it prolongs the torments of man. Only if the object of your hope is not true. You know, back in 1981, I'm not sure what it's like now, but Harlem was a place where more often than not, students did not graduate from high school. There was abysmal graduation rate. In 1981, Eugene Lang uh, rose to speak uh, at a graduating class, sixth grade graduating class in Harlem Elementary School. And he kind of decided he was going to do his, the normal commencement speech, you know, work hard and uh, you'll go far. And he just stopped midstream um, and just decided to go off script. He put his notes down. And he said, you know, I heard Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. And then he told the kids, everyone should have a dream. And then he said to them, I'll give a scholarship to every member of the class admitted to a four-year college. There was stunned silence, peppered with a few audible gasps. Then students, parents, and teachers cheered and mobbed him. He told them that he would earmark a certain amount of money for each of them toward college tuition and that he would add more money each year, each year that they stayed in school. He said, I didn't stop to do any arithmetic, he told the Associated Press. I just said, you can go. I promise that each one of you can go to college. At that moment, the lives of these students changed forever. For the first time, they had hope. Said one student, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. 
Nearly 90% of the class went on to graduate from high school. 60% of them would would pursue post-secondary work. One of those students, Alma Sabalos, did graduate from college. Her son recently followed in her footsteps, earning a BA as well. Before Mr. Lang came into my life, I was struggling in school, she said, but with mentorship, tutoring, and new motivation, her grades vastly improved within a year. Before long, she was the valedictorian of her class. She went on to say, the promise empowered me. Well, we have a promise, a promise of a spectacular, wonderful, guaranteed world by the infinite riches of eternal life through the resurrected Jesus Christ. That is a promise, and that gives us living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and it empowers us. So trust in him. Know the power of the promise of Christ's resurrection. Let's pray. Father, I don't think that I need to convince the congregation here today of the reality of the difficulty of life and the opportunities that we have every day for hopelessness. But Father, I pray that that would not simply be where it ends, that we would be encouraged in the true reality of the promise of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his return as resurrected, glorified Christ. Father, may we know that resurrection life for eternity, and may we begin to experience the benefits of it now. I pray, Father, that you would work in us faith, whether it is a faith for the first time in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or whether it is a renewed, uh, robust faith And trust in what we already know and what we already affirm, that we might be people of hope. Thank you for the gift of hope through Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. And so appropriately, let's sing praise to him in the song, In Christ Alone. Let's stand and sing.